Welcome to The Pharmacy Benefit, a podcast that highlights the role of PBMs in serving millions of patients and consumers throughout the country. I'm J.C. Scott. November is National Diabetes Month. In 2018, over 34 million people in the United States, roughly 10% of the population, were living with some form of diabetes. This can be both health-interrupting and life-threatening, and for patients, staying on a medication regime is exceptionally important for managing the condition, which means that the cost of their medication is also exceptionally important. Unfortunately, cost is increasingly a challenge for many patients with diabetes today. The insulin market is consolidated, which can limit competition and stifle the development of therapeutic alternatives. And that lack of competition is one important factor which can lead to higher list prices. Today's episode focuses specifically on these questions of cost and accessibility and what can be done to help. Joining me is Amy Bricker, Senior Vice President of Health Services Supply Chain at Express Scripts. Amy is responsible for the company's key relationships and strategic initiatives across the pharmaceutical supply chain. Her work focuses on leveraging partnerships with manufacturers and pharmacies to create value for employers and other health plan clients and to keep essential medicines like insulin within reach of patients. From 2016 to 2019, Amy served as a commissioner on the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, or MedPAC, which provides analysis and policy advice on the Medicare program to Congress. And last year, Amy testified at a hearing at the House Energy and Commerce Committee on the rising cost of insulin. Amy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, JC. I, I thought we could start by talking a little bit about what informs your perspective on the topic we're going to be discussing today. You're a registered pharmacist, and you started your career working in a pharmacy. How has that experience with direct patient interaction at the pharmacy counter affected your thinking on supply chain and cost issues? Yeah, thanks for the question. Yes, I am a registered pharmacist. It's been quite some time since I've practiced, but when I think back about why I chose pharmacy as a profession, it really stems from the fact that my younger brother was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And I saw firsthand what diabetes could do to not just patients, but you know my brother, my family, um, and the toll that that disease can take on an individual. It, you know, for many, they can adapt and they can understand know how to manage that disease if given the proper tools and resources. And for others, including my brother, it was life altering and continued to be a struggle for him. He was diagnosed at a young age and has lived with diabetes um, longer than he hasn't. And still as an adult continues to, to grapple with, with the disease that, you know, there is no cure. And it's a reminder every day that, you know, he is a diabetic and that he has to keep that top of mind in all that he does. And so I saw that firsthand and it really shaped the person that I am as a in my interest in healthcare and specifically in the management of diabetes and in the cost of diabetes. I didn't know about your personal experience. Thank you for sharing that with us, Amy. And so you were saying that that, that experience growing up and your brother's condition then inspired you to get into the business of pharmacy, which then obviously led right. to the, the work that you're doing now. Absolutely did. And it shaped my sisters. She's also in, in the same field. And so I think, you know, I, we saw firsthand what that disease means to patients. And, you know, it's the, the cost is one aspect of it, but the complexity and the fact that, you know, while there has been tremendous advancement in the disease, it's a very difficult disease to manage. You know, you don't get days off. You don't get to forget that you're a diabetic type one diabetic that is, 
Um, you don't get to be careless about it or again, just kind of maybe I'll deal with that tomorrow. That's it's a disease that's always with you. And, you know, unfortunately, given the the little advancement that we've had in, in a cure towards towards the disease, so we're left with traditional and at times feeling as though antiquated systems and therapies in order to treat. That leads me to, to talk a little bit with you about what's going on in the insulin marketplace today. So insulin itself has humble beginnings, but today's insulin market has become a pretty complicated one. Let's let's start at the beginning. A trio of inventors discovered insulin and then sold their patent to the University of Toronto for about a dollar. And yet about a century later, the average price per month of insulin exceeds $450, and there's still almost no generic or biosimilar competition. What's going on in the insulin market? So we we operate the healthcare system in the US is a is a free market for profit. Uh, system. And while we've seen with the growing tension on insulin specifically, list price increases moderating in the last couple of years, they haven't declined. And so not only do you have very inflated list prices, but that's only relevant when you think about the proliferation of benefits that you know, anchor back to that list price, where you have high deductible health plans and where you have high coinsurance plans. And so patients, you know, unknowingly or, you know, unexpectedly are faced with these out of pockets that are, you know, insurmountable. And the stories that you hear around, you know, having to choose between rent or food and insulin is just, it's heartbreaking. And so, you know, there are a number of things in play here, but, you know, not only have list prices continued to, to soar, We've not seen them decline ever in the history of, of this system. We have a proliferation of a benefit design that is, is, frankly, a failed experiment. And you raise an important point that patients are exposed to those list prices, right? Either those who may have insurance coverage but be on a plan whose design is, is exposing their out-of-pocket costs more to that list price, or, of course, for all the people who are uninsured and may not have coverage and have to pay the full cost at the pharmacy counter. I think insulin manufacturers might argue to us that the high price or the price increases we've seen historically are the price of innovation, right? That they, they would say there's new, more effective insulins on the market. Even though we don't have a cure, the treatment's getting marginally better, and that increase in value justifies the increase in, in list price. As you know, Amy, I came out of the medical technology field, and certainly there's innovation going on there for diabetics with continuous glucose monitors and delivery devices that make it easier for patients to live their lives more comfortably. And so I think we all would say, absolutely, there is value to innovation. But are you seeing that kind of innovation on the pharmaceutical side in terms of the progress of the science that justifies the prices that we're seeing from the manufacturers? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, there's, on the one hand, we're not dealing with, you know, pork insulin. There is human insulin, so that's progress. You know, if you look at the human insulin, those that were entered the market, you know, decades ago, they are inexpensive. I think you can get them, you know, on label or off label for around $25 a vial, but that's going to require that you use a syringe and you pull up a dose and, you know, who's carrying around vials and syringes these days. And so, yes, there's been some advancement, advancement with respect to delivery devices, also advancement in the actual, you know, chemicals 
or the you know the actual pharmaceutical itself that it's longer acting and more stable if you will but there hasn't been incremental advancement in you know year over year we've got a few more more recent examples of better insulin formulations more stable formulations but this is the only area that i can think of pharmaceuticals that is where you know you pay for and you pay a high price for some you know new product to the market you don't see you know if you look at televisions and the advancement there and they get thinner and they get lighter you're not paying you know tens of thousands of dollars more for that with innovation also comes the ability to create that at a lower price or at a, at a greater value for consumers and this is an example of we haven't really seen much advancement but we continue to see an increase in, in costs uh, for those products. And would you say that some of that directly correlates back to the fact that there's really just three primary manufacturers of insulin today, that there's just not that competition in the marketplace that's requiring them to more aggressively compete on both price and innovation? Yeah, you know, I think there's there's something to that. You know, when you have the ability, you know, at some point to bring a, a lower cost product to the market, are you going to be able to get the market share? Are you going to be able to, you know, recoup an investment if you are, you know, a biosimilar or a generic product coming to market? That's always something that um, a manufacturer has to weigh as they're considering entering the market. And you're right. There are three large manufacturers today that that hold, you know, the entire market and the market share associated. And so what is it that it will take in order to get additional competition and therefore, you know, lower price in the market? I do believe that, you know, when you look at the net cost, so when, you know, here we go talking about the role of a rebate, but when you look at the role that the PBM has played, which essentially is, you know, demanding and, you know, encouraging competition and therefore additional discounts to plan sponsors, we have seen that the net costs have stabilized and are, you know, historically not risen to the extent that list price has, but that's the role of the PBM. The, the Where this falls apart is when you look at the benefit design and when a patient is actually subject to that list price initially as part of, as part of the plan year, that, you know, you don't see the full impact of what the PBM has brought um, and the value that they've delivered to to their plan sponsors. Yeah, and I think that takes me into sort of the next area I wanted to explore, which is your current industry, the PBM industry, and what you're able to do to help. And you touched on probably the most important aspect, which is where you can, you're leveraging competition to try and um, bring those net costs down. For, for those who hadn't seen it, and Amy, I think you saw this research that came out earlier this year from Visante that showed that Despite the fact that total gross sales of insulin increased from 22 billion in 2012 to 54 billion in 2019, PBMs held total net sales to only 13 billion during that same time period. So I think that's a good proof point of the work that, that you just talked about. I also feel like though that sometimes people don't have good visibility into the full scope of what PBMs do in, in a case like this and trying to help diabetic patients uh, deal with with something like insulin and, and managing their their prescription use. Can you talk a little bit about what Express Scripts is doing to, to help Americans living with diabetes, not only on the affordability side, but just generally for access and to improve health and wellness? Yeah, so we're really proud of the results that we've been able to deliver. Uh, last year, through our drug trend report that we publish every year, 
we cited a over 5% decline in spending for diabetic medications for those that were enrolled in our clinical solutions. And so it's a combination of discounts that we're able to get from pharmacies themselves or, or retailers, but more importantly, you know, clinical programs that leverage formularies, that leverage appropriate utilization of, of product that we're, you know, wrapping our arms around these patients to ensure that they're adherent, but that they're also taking the right products for their disease or for, you know, the stage of the of their di diabetes. And so we're not only just using our tradition those traditional tools of formulary and utilization management, but also diabetes care value program, which is a value-based solution. It ensures that the patient's using the appropriate channel. So where is it most appropriately dispensed, but also leveraging, you know, specialists, specialist pharmacists and nurses that are able to interact with these patients. Again, many of them, you know, maybe being newly diagnosed or those that are out of out of compliance or that their diabetes isn't, you know, under control, need the additional attention. And it's difficult to get that sometimes from a physician. Some of them are not managed by endocrinologists or specialists. And so they rely heavily on their pharmacist, in this case, um, our therapeutic resource center pharmacist to ensure that they're getting the best care possible. And so we're doing that through a number of mechanisms, just traditional outreach, but also through, you made a comment a moment ago about devices so that mm -hmm. we're connecting to the patient in a way that they want to be communicated with either through you know devices or through their glucose monitor or through text messaging, you know, also talking to their caregivers if it happens to be a child or an elderly patient that's, you know, needs additional support in managing their disease. So all of these things together, it's not a one size fits all, but there are traditional ways in which we can help our clients keep costs down and ensure patients have access. And then there are more sophisticated ways that we're that we're learning to do that in collaboration with not just, you know, clinicians, but also with manufacturers and with medical device um, companies. And I have to imagine that that more holistic approach to care management or condition management that you're taking as a company here in the, the example of patients who rely on insulin has been acutely more important this year during the COVID pandemic mm -hmm. for people who you're worried about make, making sure they maintain their access to supply, that they continue to be adherent even while we're all on and off sheltering at play, in place at home and, and, and living through the, the current situation. Absolutely, you know, it's now more important than ever that we keep uh, patients out of the hospital. And, you know, having to go to the ER because your diabetes is either, your blood sugar is too high or too low, we want to avoid that. We always want to avoid that. But now it can also be a matter of life and death. And we know that patients that have diabetes that are a higher risk, if they happen to contract COVID-19 and so, it's more important than ever that that we're using every resource that's available to us to ensure that patients have the care that they need. Let's talk a little bit about the other important group of key players here, and that's policymakers. When we look at the challenges uh, for patients on insulin diabetics, you've got experience with MedPAC. You spent time on Capitol Hill, officially and unofficially. So I'd welcome your perspective here, maybe to start with something that came out of the administration earlier this year. CMS announced the Part D senior savings model, which allows Part D plan sponsors 
to offer a new voluntary Part D plan under which cost sharing for insulin would be limited to $35 a month per beneficiary. Can you just walk us through at a high level of that new model and what it might mean for Part D enrollees next year? Sure. So um, I'm going to start maybe with the first part of your question. I think there are many things that the industry can do to address insulin prices. And I mentioned this in a prior PCMA forum, and it might be surprising to some. But I think that, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturers have subsidized uh, the healthcare system for quite some time. They continue to have to fund ever-growing coupon programs. And, you know, when you talk to them privately, they say, I, you know, these are out of control. I don't know how to stop though, because my competitor isn't going to stop offering a coupon, but it's a program that was initially designed to get around formulary design, which of course we're not in favor of, but with the proliferation of high deductible health plans and percentage copays, they're at an all time high. And so you have to factor in what are the things that are, are, are on the minds of these manufacturers when of course they're public companies and they have shareholders they have expenses around 340B. 340B, which was of course intended to be something for those hospitals and health systems that were mainly serving the under, underserved or those that had no insurance. And the program of course had you know, aspirations of ensuring that those, those entities were able to continue to serve that population, it's gone out of control. And so we're not seeing you know, our clients or our patients specifically benefiting. You're seeing at times very profitable health systems benefiting and retail pharmacies benefiting. So in total, there has to be, nothing will change unless something changes. We've got to see reform in 340B. I would call for you know, a resetting or a elimination of coupons for the entire industry because it's out of control, but yet no one can stop because of fear that they will, their competitors won't. But back to the question that you asked secondly around the CMS's new model that they've proposed for Part D, it's you know offering uh, insulin limited at $35 a month for those plans that wanted to enroll. This is critical. One in three Medicare beneficiaries today have diabetes and they've cited cost as a barrier to accessing medications. Both Express Scripts and Cigna intend to participate in this program uh, this year. We think it's it's critical. It's critical to address the out-of-pocket concerns relative to insulin, and we think it's a great program, and, and I'm excited to see the results of that. And I'd like to go back to your comments about the proliferation of coupons, just for, for those listening to our conversation who may not have as much background into why our industry may see those as as problematic because I think the going in assumption might be what's wrong with the coupon? It helps lower my out-of-pocket costs. I can stay on whatever drug I want to stay on. Isn't that a good thing for me as the patient? Can you just maybe share a little bit of perspective as to why that creates problems for everyone in a system like that? It does a couple of things. As I mentioned early on, this was a mechanism for manufacturers who were not on a formulary uh, to continue to have access to patients. And so when you would typically get a message that, you know, the product is expensive because it's not on formulary, a coupon would be available to you. 
Um, typically, you got those handed out. They were a piece of paper, and the doctor gave them to you at when they prescribed the product to you, and you carried it into the pharmacy, and you knew that you were asking for help with your high out-of-pocket. Now it's become, you know, automated. It's behind the scenes. Patients don't even know that a coupon is in play. It's applied at the point of sale by the retailer um, as they are processing the claim. The downside of this is a couple of things. Plan sponsors have no visibility to this, so they don't know that the patient is using a coupon. They've created a benefit design where they're, you know, they've asked patients to contribute some amount uh, towards their, their healthcare spend. It, it also is increasing the costs associated with healthcare for pharmaceutical manufacturers because many of them, you know, again, because it's automated, are just buying down the patients out of pocket. And so you have this continued proliferation of people going into these, these benefit designs. They, you know, in some cases are not actually exposed to the out of pocket that is intended by the plan, but yet the manufacturer is paying that down. This all happens on the commercial side of our benefit. These coupons are not available in government programs, including Medicare and Medicaid. And so there's also a good reason for that. And, you know, Medicare got this one right. But what it hasn't addressed, the Medicare design has not addressed and has not, I think, um, had a, a resetting, if you will, since it's, you know, it, it actually was created, was the fact that list prices now are extremely high on these products, that patients do have, you know, are subject to these high out-of-pocket costs. And depending on what phase the patient is in their benefit, it's just not predictable. And it's something that patients are very confused by. And um, it, it, we need to relook at specifically with insulin, the out-of-pockets that we're, that we're asking consumers to pay associated with life-saving and life-sustaining medications. Thank you for providing that background because I don't think a lot of people connect those dots to understand that the, the, the plan formulary design is purposeful in the way that you're trying to encourage patients to use equally effective but cheaper alternatives. And if the coupon is steering the patient to use or stay on a more expensive drug, that's more expensive for everybody in the plan. It doesn't provide the support for the development of the cheaper alternatives, and it really sort of misses the point of the, of the whole plan design. So, so thank you for that background. Amy, as, as we wrap up, maybe to, to, to look forward and, and ask you to strike a note of optimism, because we have been struggling for decades with the challenges around insulin, and as you said, uh, and especially in recent years with the, with the increases in price, but everybody's focused on it now. So where do you see this going next year, five years down the road? How do you see the, the, the marketplace evolving? What's the outlook for, for diabetic patients on some of these questions? Yep. So as I said a moment ago, nothing is going to change unless something changes. And we've got to encourage the manufacturers who testified alongside me last year who said that they want nothing more than to ensure that patients have access to their therapies at an affordable price. We need to take them up on that. But in order to do that, there has to be something in the market by way of regulation or, or policy making that encourages the manufacturers to reset or to lower their list prices for there to be, you know, reasonable reform to benefit design to ensure that the patient is thought first, um, that we're keeping the patient's care top of mind. 
And as I mentioned before, there needs to be a reform specifically of the Medicare Part D program. The example a moment ago of the $35 insulin in Part D, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I think we'll learn a lot from the plans that, that elect to enroll in, in that offering and, and essentially how that translates for patient care and for adherence. And so I think we're making some, we're making some strides. Of course, there is always more to do, but I think there is a tremendous common ground that we can reach across the industry here because we all want the same thing, and that's to ensure that patients have the care that they need. And, and the manufacturers, of course, want to ensure that they have access to the, the drugs that they have in the market to treat those diseases. Well, I'm, I'm going to take that as a very optimistic note that, that you, given your professional experience as a pharmacist at the beginning of your career, working now in the PBM industry, your interactions with manufacturers, that it's proof positive that there is space for collaboration around the needs of patients on, on issues like this. Yeah. Amy, uh, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, JC. It was a pleasure. And thank you to everyone for listening. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to The Pharmacy Benefit and download all of our podcast episodes. You can do that on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. I'm JC Scott. Thanks for joining me. Mm-hmm.